Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. people leo phillips here with this must be the gig your backstage pass to the world of live music every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic big spongy globe we talk passion we talk first concerts last concerts and everything in the juicy center this week i'm delighted to be joined by scott avett of the Avet Brothers. We chat about the life-changing power of seeing Tom T. Hall sing Mr. Bojangles, playing with Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson, and the surprising influence of Faith No More's Mike Patton. But before we dig into all of that, let's check in with our constant companion here at TMBTG Studios. Hello, Engineer Adam. Hi. Hi. hi hey, hi. How's it going? Good. Uh, it's been a week. It's been a week. It's been a week. <laughs> what do you? What has been going on? Just ramping up here to episode seventy-five. <gasps> Can't believe it's episode seventy-five. I know it's great. It's like uh, it feels like a big round accomplishment. This last month, I feel I was just going through it in my head. I feel like we've gone to many, many shows in oh my Chicago yes, that been... we are both proud of. So, speaking of Scott playing with Bob Dylan, we yes, just saw Bob Dylan now we did. at the UIC. Yeah, it's the Center. Credit One Arena, I believe, is what the new name of it is. But um, I know it as the UIC a, Pavilion. The thing I loved most about Bob Dylan's performance sparkly was pants. the sparkly pants <laughs> that he was wearing. And also how seamlessly he went from piano to uh, harmonica. harmonica to guitar. Yeah, yeah. And also how after every single song, the lights dimmed. Yes, it was very pro. You don't pro. get that anymore. It was very classy, old school pro move. What do you think he did in those milliseconds when the lights were dimmed? I think he danced a jig every time. A jig? Yeah. Uh, we actually saw, we had the beautiful trifecta in the last month and a bit of Joanna Newsom into 
Nick Cave. Nick Cave and the conversations which you chatted about on a previous episode and into... Jonesy. Jonesy. Um, with Alex Summers. With Alex Summers playing and the wordless orchestra mm-hmm. playing Rice Boy Sleeps. Oh boy, that was, was a good one. insane. What a crazy month. <laughs> and we also got to see The Lighthouse, which if anyone is obsessed with, uh, I suppose, the orifices of fish... You can see that. I'm sure at least one listener is obsessed <laughs> the with the orifices of fish. The orifices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's dig into our favorite feature here at TMDGWW Studios. And that is the live show of the week. Oh, my God. We lose steam on that one. No. We live never lose show steam. of the week. There you go. Each week, we highlight the most heart-thumping event that we could find out there, and we share it with our listeners so that they can all head to the show themselves. Mm -hmm. So, for this week's live show of the week, we are looking at a performance from The Jenny Slate, who has an amazing stand-up special on Netflix right now, and that is at the Vic Theater in Chicago on Friday, November 8th, one week after November 1st, which, if anyone has been listening, was my best. We here at the show love Jenny Slate. You're not going to even acknowledge that. I was about so to. Sad. I was about to. Jenny. We love Jenny Slate. Jenny. And her coming to Chicago a week after your birthday is the greatest is the birthday, birthday present, present that could ever, ever be had. <laughs> <laughs> we loved her stand-up special, as Leora mentioned, on Netflix, Stage Fright. It's a must-watch. I highly recommend everybody go out there and listen. And also... The perfect way to get tickets to her little mini stand-up tour or to any other stand-up show or any concert or gig sporting or sporting events. event of we your choosing. We just bought loads of Bulls tickets on StubHub, our favorite go-to That is hub. very true. It is quite the hub. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get tickets to anything, StubHub via cosradio.lv slash StubHub, that's cosradio.lv slash s-t-u-b-h-u-b, to find the best selection of tickets to the hottest shows, one more time, that's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. So after you've listened to this incredibly expressive, in-the-moment, all-encompassing conversation that we have on this week's episode, go to cosradio.lv slash StubHub. But let us focus now on the interview with Scott. He calls in fresh off the release of the Avet Brothers' new album, Closer Than Together. In addition to discussing the dual influence of Mike Patton and Bob Dylan, Scott and I also chat about the complexity of playing music and touring with family. We also talk about the courage it takes to admit you're having an off day uh, in general, and then also admit you're having an off day on stage and just pushing through with a performance anyway. So this is me and Scott. Enjoy! I think our longest break in, 20, in 19 years has been three months. Oh my gosh! You know, we'll take a week off, or sometimes as much as in the in the holiday season, like a month or a month and a half. But it's uh, we just it's been a way of life for us. It's a it's a living of ours that we uh, 
have learned how to cultivate and uh, we enjoy and it's 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 our language you know is touring something for you that it was you know like riding a bike like once you got used to it it was natural it was kind of the you know it, it, it spoke to the core of who you are you naturally you know molded into this into this way of life or or is it kind of something still that you feel a little bit distant from uh, no it's uh when i was when i was a little kid um my father traveled to work. He was a he worked on bridges. He was a welder, and uh, we would either occasionally travel with him, or when we did take trips, and I saw truck drivers. To me, they were like the rock stars of the world. You know, I, I thought how romantic, how incredible to be in that cockpit and just hit the open road. And so through that, you know, I think uh, that upbringing just hitting the open road or hitting the road just it was something that we did anyway and uh we found a reason to do that along with what we love doing as far as writing songs and performing so uh the i think i think it's as important as it was to become like to learn how to play an instrument it's just as important has been just important to learn how to travel and learn how to uh yeah how to move and yeah Yeah, I love that you said that because I feel like a lot of people just focus on the writing portion of it, the magic happening, the recording. Also, 20 years ago, whilst touring was absolutely crucial, I don't think it's ever been more crucial as it is now because it's your main form of income. It's your main way to guarantee that you're getting right in front of your fans. So it always was for us. And it was right. always was. We never saw it another way. So it, it served us very well to not see instant success early. Uh, that was very good to us because we we got very we got very practiced in in traveling. But tell me about the first times then, when you first started getting on the road. What were the things that uh, really shocked you out of the whole ideal of it? Because obviously, you know, going into it as a as a recording artist versus a touring musician, and then when you finally get on the road, what were some of the surprising elements of touring that you never expected? Well, in hindsight, when I look at how, as we've improved, as I as I have worked to improve. Um, the shape that I'm in when I'm traveling to travel in a uh, more effective way. Uh, it, to me, it was, it's surprising how this is later. This wasn't something that I found surprising instantly because I was overlooking it, but it's right. surprising to me how neglect, like neglectful I was to my own well being, uh, physically and mentally. I would just, you know, you would just wonder why in the world am I angry? Why am I not performing well? Why is my voice blowing out? Like those things were a mystery. When I look back now, I go, they were no mystery. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was, I was drinking, you know, you know, ridiculous amounts. And, uh, it was, it was such a, an eye opener to, uh, to stay in it long enough to adjust some of that and go away. If you're going to, if you are going to do this, you know, like Pearl Jam or like Bruce Springsteen, like you're going to do this for a long time. You have to, uh, you have to grow up a little bit in it. And, uh, that, that was, it's surprising how little, uh, how little we, we paid attention to that early on and could still, could still operate uh, and, and made it through. 
it's surprising we didn't uh, ruin it all. You know, there's so many artists that I've spoken to over you know the last decade, even who look back at their lives and think I was right on the edge and on the cusp of you know wrecking my voice or. You know, there's so many totally. artists who have those, like, horror stories. Like, I remember chatting to Shirley Manson of Garbage, and she, like, had some terrible thing happen whilst she was on stage to her voice. So it was, like, halfway through, which is, of course, you know, it's like a ballet dancer breaking their ankle. Or, you know, it's it's equivalent. That performative aspect is so important to your lives. And if you don't take care of your body... Mm-hmm. But again, this is something yeah. that they don't tell you before you start. No, no, no. You still have to learn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that that's pretty obvious. I think in any group that is just playing night after night in a bar or a club, you, you take it far enough. And if you make it through that, you, it's either going to end you or you're going to learn from it one way or the other. I mean, right? Like, there's there's going to do one or the other. You don't just sort of keep doing it. Uh I guess, unless maybe you're the Rolling Stones, which yeah. everybody says. It's just, it's gone on forever. But, uh, but for us, Absolutely. we had to, we, I mean, I know I had to think. Like, uh, there was a moment when I said, okay, no more alcohol on the road, period. Like, that was what I had to do, or I was going to, uh, I was going to uh, self-destruct for sure. Do you, do you feel like once you were cognizant of that shift and that change and being more self-aware on the road, especially with your body, with your mental health, do you feel like that allowed you to use your writing in a different way? Because sometimes we turn to certain mediums like art or poetry or movies or TV, you know, what, what have you, whatever fills our need. We turn to it in, in, in a time sometimes when we are feeling a little bit lost. But when you're at your best, sometimes it's a little bit, tr- where, where do you draw your inspiration from? You know, so did, did you feel like yeah, it shifted yeah. your um, approach almost to your writing? I'm not, I'm not a, I mean, I'm certainly not a believer and I'm not sure that you're suggesting this at all. I don't think you are, but, uh, but I, I guess in the past I might've thought, well, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm struggling, the more I'm struggling, the, the, the better that my art might be or, and, and there is true through some struggles, uh, some really great things have happened and have come, but I'm not a believer that, uh, for one, I'm not a believer that things are just going to always be great and that I'm always going to be my best. Even even when I'm hyper aware of it and awake to it, uh, I still find myself depressed. That's part of life for me. Um, being awake to it is the point. And I, I've seen being awake to it uh, and being aware of, of I guess, self-care, um, spiritual awakeness, uh, uh, presence, just presence has actually made writing easier. Um, less critical it certainly made being a rock star on stage much more acceptable and easy uh because it's not so critical anymore it's like hey (laughs) this isn't so serious (laughs) go not the end of the world go and enjoy it and own it you know take it be it and uh and it's been beautiful for me like uh I've been on stage and felt just out of my skin before because I felt like I didn't, I didn't deserve it. You know, I didn't, I wasn't worth it and 
who knows? Maybe I was just hungry. <laughs> well, exactly. But also like fostering belief in oneself in in any capacity, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in, you know, the work that you do when you're younger with your family, with your art. It's really something that does take. Unfortunately, it takes time because it's like getting comfy in, as you mentioned, getting comfy in, in, in this like new skin. You know, when you're getting up on stage, uh, you're adopting this, not persona, because it's very much you guys, but you are still putting forth this version of yourself, you know, and yeah. that ha that yeah. requires so much belief, which again, as you mentioned, it's not like you are your best, you, you write the best stuff when you're at your lowest but you just have to function, yeah. basically. And I quite like what you said about being like just having that presence. That's so fascinating because a lot of people don't really, you know, they don't look at it like that. Um, you know, there's this whole like horrible uh, idea of the tortured artist, I guess, you know. Um, yeah. Even yeah. I learned that when I started writing all of those years ago, I even said, I need to hold myself up. No one must talk to me. I need to be in the darkness with my headphones. <laughs> and um, yeah, we know, all know, know that know. that doesn't really work sometimes because you really do need to have all those elements intact to yeah. have that belief in yourself in order to perform. That's true. And, and the darkness is going to come no matter what, like, you know. You don't have to impose it on yourself. That's for sure. Right. So when you when you're touring and especially the beginning, uh, the beginning of your careers, do you remember the first live music that you saw? That wasn't, I suppose, because I know that both uh, your grandmother and father were were musicians. But it, what was the first live show that you saw that wasn't one of your your family members? Yeah, I think uh, I think it was. Um... I think that the very first live show I saw with a, like a musical show was Tom T. Hall, mm -hmm. the country uh, singer and, and songwriter. And it was at a, a place called the Stanley County Ag Agricultural Center. Uh, it was a little theater, probably, I bet it was 300 people. And uh, yeah, yeah, he, uh, I remember he did Mr. Bojangles. They put a little uh, jacket on for the song, but, uh, but <laughs> Tom T song. was a Tom T is a big. Oh, it's so good! It's so good, and uh, he did a little dance with it, like a little two step, like a real grat, like graceful little two step. Now Tom T is probably eighty six or eighty seven now, but uh, he's been a great, a great inspiration. But um, yeah, that was I, I was thinking about this before this podcast, and I always go to my first concert, but that wasn't that was more of this live performance. So, and I bet I was. Oh man, I guess I was eight or, and I might've oh. gone something before then, but I don't, I don't recall it. Right. And especially with the, that Mr. Bojangles song, when you have that visual of like putting the jacket on, it's so, there's, there's mm. again, that performance artist version of a singer songwriter oh, so and you like fill so it with much. like, even, even, even listening to that song, which I used to listen to nonstop when I was younger, I have no idea why. I think it was just something that uh -huh. I, I don't know. It's it was just something that was in performance, uh, the performance scene, like in drama and dancing. They always used to use that as a reference because there's it's so, so many layers to that song, 
especially with the repetition and some of the lyrics and and <laughs> and like uh, yeah. yeah no it's such a great song so had you heard him before you went to the concert so he has these children's songs he made children's songs and children uh, children's album and uh songs like sneaky snake and uh some songs that weren't uh, children's songs, but sounded like them, like I Love and I Care. Those are two songs uh, that um, were so, so, they were played often in our house and uh, we were really close to him. And it was easy to be close to him as a kid because they were, he was, he was really capable. He is very capable of speaking to children uh, in a very uh, beautiful and simple way. And uh, he had told, I met him later on in life. Uh, in Franklin or in, in outside of Nashville, Tennessee, at his house, and uh, you know that we talked a little bit about how how few words can you say what you need to say, and um, mm-hmm. that that resonated with me for a long time. And I think that's what speaks to kids, you know, saying saying big, prolific things in in little sentences and little words uh, that's that's beautiful and especially being able to do that and being so convincing as well because there's a level of simplicity no especially with kids and even children's books there's that level of simplicity that a lot of you know a lot of authors get right um, when they pair it with a visual component but when you could just use a word which I feel like you you've kind you've yeah. kind of done on your new record with tell the truth there's so many layers on that so, song yeah there's so much ideology behind it, like, you know, self-honesty and self-love and all of that kind of stuff. And I feel yep. you, you say it and it isn't sim- it's not simplistic as in elementary. It's uh, just really focusing in on an idea and not, you know, complicating it, which I think is rare. That's a, a perfect example. It's a perfect example because that's a universal truth. Right. And uh, that the whole point is, can you start? Where do you start? Like, where the heck do you start if you're just trying to, 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 I don't know, just to wake up? Where, where do you start? And we convince, I know I convince myself of so many non-truths that uh, that's the song, you know, that's the idea. And I intentionally wanted that song to have as few words as possible and have them repetitive and, uh, um, yeah, yeah, totally. That's the perfect example. I mean, I also feel like, there is that universal idea that universal truths are poppy, you know, because they appeal to a lot of people. Yep. And I feel like that That's kind right. of devalues the the aspect of the fact that we all get it, no matter where we're from. You know, I grew up in yep. freaking South Africa. I shouldn't understand country music. I didn't grow up with it. But, you know, what you're singing uh. about is is so important because again that's far surpasses like music like art it far surpasses the idea of uh you know we are all different instead it 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 kind of brings us together and connects us which i think that that song does and there's a really nice hope to it as well and i saw you perform it on fallon which was amazing because that's something you know that's something that I can imagine with a challenging song like that. And then on live TV, that's also quite, I can imagine that whole aspect of it and the logistics are quite difficult, just mentally and emotionally getting yourself into that zone. Yes. But there's a, there's a real natural um, belonging, I think with that song, like uh, 
that was uh, very much in my range, very much uh, like a, a true, a, a true, or a, or an, a true aspiration. And so, without having to pretend or strain to get to a certain range, you it, there's there's such a nice belonging in that song for me, and I think for our group. You know, I think we we just it's in our wheelhouse, it's in our voice, and it's in our language. So um, we performed it enough leading up that. And back to what you were talking about on stage, there is there is a belonging now that that I don't think I have I had to earn, but I had to live life to uh, to recognize. I think it's always been there, but it's just when do you wake up to it? Um, and that yeah. that gives such a calm in my core when I go on stage to uh, know that I belong. And even if I'm going to mess up the whole night. Even if I'm going to have a terrible night, every night won't be my night. Uh, it's okay. And so then I end up having more nights, I think. Well, also when a song like has more lives than just the song itself, I guess, when you are creating this thing that can be interpreted in so many different ways, you know, it's all about like, how does somebody relate to it? And then having that calmness and yeah. knowing that it isn't only about how you're performing it. It's also about how people are perceiving it as well which I think is, again, yeah. something so fascinating about so artists good. who like keep their shit together. You know, when they are, I've spoken yep. to people who've written songs about their, uh, you know, how they are widowed now, about how they were sitting in the oh, hospital man. beds with, you know, their grandmothers or, or children holding their hands, watching them pass. You know, there, there's so many things like that, that you feel... Yeah. Fans sometimes disconnect, of course, as you, you're a fan as well of music and you disconnect. You don't know the background to every song you listen to. No. So I really like that word calm because I think I think that uh, mastering mm -hmm. that it is a, it's mastering of something within you that you believe in the song, you believe in the audience, you believe in your band and then being able to really speak through that, I think is, is kind of that's the that's the art there. You that's know? everything. That's yeah. everything. It is. It is. It's not. It, it, that I think we so, or I think so many times people, um, and I'm, I'm guilty of this probably, you, you start to veer off and go, well, how well can I do something? Right. How can I show people that I can do things well? And that's so, that can promote such an imbalance of mm. what this is as a, as a experience, as a, as a relationship, which is what I've, I've learned that shows like it's everything it's just like you said relationship is what shows are they're not it's not a showcase it's not a uh, uh a revealing of how you are special and you do something great that's you know you end up doing you you know by default we tend to learn how to do things very well because we spend time with them right and that's that's great that really, it really is beautiful and we have to own that however without that relationship of all things, like you were just saying, it's it can become actually something very disgusting uh, versus something completely like totally beautiful. And it takes a long time. I mean, I don't. I, I'm not a musician by any measure, but as the, on the other side of it, uh, to watch somebody again speak of things that they've truly believe in, you can feel that in even if it isn't in your home language, which is feeling within the band and that cohesion as well. That I think, especially for Avid Brothers you guys have really made sure that you come as this collaborative 
force as opposed to this yeah. is my time <laughs> this is my my way <laughs> and i feel yeah, like it's yeah, always yeah. been right. like you know and i think that that's also kind of an old school way of doing things it's um it's giving everybody the accolades and and uh giving everybody the understanding that you're in this together which i, I as a as a listener you do feel that you know or at least that's i good. do but talking about collaboration, because obviously, you know, you recently released a new album and congratulations on that. I think uh, it's, thank, it's such a wonderful so record and you have such a long history of working in creative partnerships, you know, with the band and like Rick Rubin. Now, I don't know how, how many albums he's worked with you. Is this now the fourth? No, wait, what are we on now? Uh, yeah. This would be the yeah. fifth, fifth album, I think. Yeah, it is. Why do you think collaboration has been such an important part of your creative process? Well, obviously, at the core, you know, it's brotherhood, mm -hmm. uh, which is just, you know, it's just collaboration. It's a, the, the fact that we're brothers is, it's not, I don't know if it's secondary, but in a way, it, it's a little secondary. Uh, we're, we're partners. And I think at that core, we, uh, I guess that's a limitation. It's a commitment to each other in relationships committing to someone is where we find the best well the best um uh wonderful love deep love deep understanding even through our our disagreements and the way we see things differently but committing to each other and so that commitment to other people is where we have found the fruits of life i think and we also do it, it's reflective in our correspondence and communication with uh, with other businesses, like our corporation. You know, I I get it sometimes from some of my uh, closest, some some of my family members and friends will, will remind me, hey, you don't have to be so loyal <laughs> to, uh, to, to this handful of, of people that you work with. But it's so much not about, it's not about the tribe that we have made. It's not about that at all. It's about it's about digging in with each other and and i just believe that we'll make the best and find the best stuff of life um through our commitments to each other uh really if you think about it I, if you have one person to work with there's not even enough time in this life uh to 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 wring that or that that rag out you know like to to get everything from it that we possibly could we don't have enough time in a life lifetime to uh, to experience another person. So um, to dig in with with several, I, I just feel like we're we're like in a long term relationship on a long term journey uh, where great things will happen because of our uh, because the limitation slash commitment slash liberation um, with each other. Yeah, and also because you know everybody will always constantly ask you about working with your working with your brother. And, and doing, you know, working with your partners and being in this long-term relationship. But what do you mean by limitation? Do you mean just because it's, there's a restriction as in, like, it's blood? You can't, you, you can't deviate. It's, it's going to be with you. He's well, going to be with I you mean, forever. Well, what I mean is, well, we have to, we have to, um, we have to represent this work together. So you're, you, like, we've learned, and this is, this is so applicable to this record. This is something that, uh has been been coming up in our conversations on our bus 
and within interviews, et cetera, um, we disagree uh, on, on many things, you know, it, two people that love each other disagree on, on things. That's just how it goes. Pause the podcast. Pause the podcast. Are you looking at a calendar full of great events but struggling to find tickets? StubHub's gotcha. Whatever your favorite band, team, or venue, StubHub is here to save the day with the best tickets for any budget. Whether you're looking for a seat at a Broadway show, tickets to the summer's big arena tour, or a night of cheering on your hometown team, StubHub has the seats you're looking for at the price you want to pay. Head to cosradio.lv StubHub or their user-friendly app to find tickets that are 100% guaranteed by FanProtect. StubHub's never sold out with the most shows, the most tickets, and the most fans. So, head on over to cosradio.lv slash StubHub or the StubHub app. The best tickets to the best experiences in music, sports, and theater. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. But how do we disagree? How do we, how do we move forward? How do we remain unified in disagreement? How do we love each other through our disagreement? But those disagreements certainly cause limitations. Like if I'm going to present something to record or to perform on stage, Seth doesn't have to agree with it completely or doesn't have to necessarily understand it completely, but he at least has to say, hey, I'm going to stand on stage or I'm going to, I'm behind it. You know, he at least has to go to get behind it. And I would imagine that through our lives, we're not always going to be able to get behind everything each other does, but that's where the limitation lies. So me alone as an artist, who knows where I'll go if I didn't have to, uh, if I didn't have to refer to anybody else, uh, yeah, you know, I'd go wherever I wanted and never consider anybody else. But in this partnership, there is a consideration. Uh, and if, even if there's going to, if, even if it's going to be something that that person doesn't understand, I have to at least present it and say, hey, I'm thinking uh, of this. I think this will be great. What do you think? Um, does that make sense as far as the limitation part? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I also think part of being creative, there's like creating kind of temporary spaces that can feel separate from the rest of the world, you know, so you're creating kind of this yeah. this little positive world in this really negative surroundings. And I think having your family around you, a family I use as a, you know, really loose term as well, blood and also people that you've worked with for so long to challenge you, yeah, I think is a really important yeah. thing because like, look at our loved ones, like how hard are they on us? I mean, I, mine are constantly telling right. me <laughs> to pushing me. Otherwise they wouldn't That's be right. the ones That's that right. I loved. I, you know, we don't, I don't think we pick people, um, in order to just be our cheerleaders only, you know, you really do need to have some sort of conversation, especially creative conversations with your own brother. Uh, if you agreed, right. how would you stretch whatever imagination you have around your songs? Like where, who, how yeah. would you know if you're on the right path, if someone's not going, you're an idiot, can we please talk about this? <laughs> or <laughs> Not to say that that's how they yeah. speak to you. But you know what I totally. mean? Like, because no, 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 then totally. you, you get a chance totally. to kind of, ha there's like a rebuttal, you know, you get a chance to argue your point. And then in, in arguing, you yep. believe in it more. 
and I and so I think that that's kind of great to hear that there is that relationship there that you're feeling challenged by. I think that's always important. Absolutely, absolutely. The best show this this well, this past couple of weeks, there was a show in Cleveland we played, and it was it really stood out, right? Like it really stood out as a the show just felt like the relationship with all things just went deep. It just you just felt it, and part of it for me individually was I was conflicted about something and there was nothing I could do about it on stage except put the, that intensity into whatever I was doing and apply it to whatever, whatever I would like. If, if the, if the expression was, was happiness, then apply this to it and let it be as big a, a happy or whatever, as big as whatever it was going to be as vibrant. And the show it lifted, it, it elevated. I felt it elevate because of that, uh, individually anyway, um, uh, in, in those, in one of those conflicts, you know? So what, what happened before that you, that it turned out to just come together? What, what, what was the, was there any like sign of doom in the beginning or was it just one of those situations where everything just worked? It was no, something, something dawned on me, like something was revealed to me during the show about uh like we were performing one of the newer songs the song bang bang Mm -hmm. and something dawned on me about it about some of the word usage and it wasn't anything up against anyone else but it was like man what do i do with this you know and it just really filled me up with uh with fire and inspiration like inspiration is not the right word uh with a vigor that uh that i just I uh, just sort of attacked the rest of the show with it, yeah. but it it just made the intensity feel deeper and, and stronger. And uh, then once the initial sort of feeling, like the reactive feeling that I had, once it settled in, and I knew reacting to it was not correct except through channeling it. Um, once that settled in, then we were kind of on a ride that was like now all cylinders are are firing so beautifully. And the set list was a big part of it. The set list was one that was been thought out well. That's important. The story, the story that we were telling that night through the songs that were coming out was, you know, sometimes it's hit or miss. And that night it was certainly, it was hitting uh, very well. So talk to me then about the tools that you're needing, like emotionally, I suppose, and also just logistically, because you now mentioned the set list. And I'm not going to ask, obviously, where the magic comes from in order to perform well, but what are the things that you need in place to to make sure that the, you know, that the evening goes to planned, or at least to make sure that the performance that you're enjoying performing? I personally think we have to know where we are. Uh, not that we lean on that directly like as far as logistically or, or geographically right. we don't necessarily talk about that but I think just the presence of where you are um, a lot of times if I one of my big tools uh, is if I'm not feeling if I'm feeling off then instead of resisting that it's important for me to start the show off just be off like if you know what I mean, like, oh, and then yeah. I'll find yeah. myself fine out of that through the show, uh, more likely than if I tried to force. And this was one, this was one of those surprises I would say early in touring where I would, I would say, okay, I'm feeling a little, a little sluggish. So let's go out like swinging. Let's just open this thing up full, 
full energy and I would find us crashing so early in a set through that. And now I would say, okay, you're off. Don't move. Just sing the song and watch and listen. And what happens? You know, what will happen? And if you're meant to move, if you're meant to, if this is high energy, then it'll be, it'll come. But if not, that's okay. Just let it be. And now I can, I'm very much, unlike I, it's changed a lot for me. I can do that now and say, no, I am, this is one of my quote unquote off nights. And sometimes those end up being referred to as, you know, some fans will say that was the best show I saw. From them. <laughs> yeah. And it makes you wonder like, oh God, what, what am I, what, you know, I have no idea, but I just try to be who I like one night might be full, you know, it might be high energy. It might be up, up, up. And then the next time might be flat foot down, down, down. And it's okay. Just, just, be in it and be it. But always like feeling into humanness, which I like to kind of phrase it as. It's, it's, totally. it's there's so, yeah. like, yeah. look at the relationships again. I always relate it back to like connections with humans. When you are high, like, yeah. completely flying off the wall, nervous or insecure, or feeling like you're somewhere else during a conversation or you know, what have you, any business meeting, whatever, you're never going to tap into that yeah. ease and that, that calmness that you chatted about earlier. And it isn't about this like, nope. oh, you're embracing being in the moment. It's more about just understanding that you know you're going to get you're going to get that high through the performance, which I really like that idea. What you said is that even if you start off low, understanding that you are fueled by your own music and performing so naturally yep. you'll go up sure. i think people don't but that's also yep. a belief it stems kind of to everything we've chatted about a lot of people don't find that confidence um or they just don't believe that they'll you know it's, it's again it's like finding fuel through making art you know that's how you get yeah. back to yourself like if you're feeling shit Actually saying to an audience, I'm feeling a little low, is, for me, when I hear no that, doubt. is actually so much better than yeah. me seeing this person struggling <laughs> through the performance, yep. like pushing, yep. because you almost feel like tense yep. watching that. I'm with you. I mean, the same show every not just not just the same songs every night, but the, mm. same, the same tempo and the same tone and the same mood and vibe from a right. person every night. I'm with you. I don't know that that would... That doesn't, I don't relate to that as well as if someone's, I mean, yeah, if someone actually on stage was just to say, you know, I'm, I'm off, I feel a little down tonight, but but yeah. here I am, and here we go. I'd be like, wow, okay, what? Exactly. It's great. It's I don't great. know, that, again, I feel like we're in, you know, we're on the cusp of like 2020. Like, look when we all found our music, artists were so far out of reach for us. You know, you the, there were more yeah. costumes, there were more pseudonyms, there were more stage names. You know, there was less about the the realness and a lot about that the theatrics of it. But I definitely think that there's some value in in really honing in on who you are in that moment, um, and that kind of puts everyone else into the place of like, oh, thank God, I can like you know, unbutton the top button of my pants and you know, like let it out. Yep. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. Like you get getting yep. comfy. I, I, I totally do. I totally understand that. So, so do you remember a show that you saw that really stuck out 
for you as a memory in terms of I feel like I can do that. Yeah, can I can I j- like give you a contrast of a moment that was um Yes, of course. Let's yeah, let me let me say because this it's important to me. This, these contrasts are so important to me, but uh Yeah. There were let's see. Well, no, it wasn't the same venue, but the same type of venue. There are two two acts. This would have been between like uh this would have been like 1990 Eight or mm-hmm. seven and two thousand or nineteen eight ninety eight two thousand, um, where I you know we grew up always. Uh, I know Tom T Hall was country, and that's the first thing I saw. But after that, everything was like my very first real concert was Van Halen, and uh, then it was like Alice in Chains and Ozzy Osbourne and Helmet and Corn and Deftones and like oh, all wow. this. Like yeah. that was what that's what I was into. That was the world. And that was what the bands that I played in. That's what we. That's what we played. I idolized Mike Patton from Faith No More. Oh, wow. And I would go see, uh, <laughs> I would see him perform anytime he was anywhere near. And I saw Mr. Bungle in 2000 twice oh, when the California record came out. And that, that was like, as I watched that, I didn't think I could do that, but I knew I was going to try to be that. I knew that I, I wanted to be my version of that. I wanted to be that version of myself. You know, like, um, I'm not, I, I was not, Mike Patton, I can't be Mike Patton because I'm not Mike Patton, but I knew that Mike Patton, he does such a good job of being his unique self, his original self. In good and bad, he's always followed, um, and it's it's been a brilliant guiding light for me. Uh, and something that happened to help sort of turn the, the light on myself, uh, I also saw a group called the Blue Rags, mm-hmm. and the Blue Rags... Um, were uh, they were all North Carolina natives, I think. Uh, all five guys were superstars. <laughs> I mean, they're all just like superstar musicians and entertainers. Uh, they didn't draw a big crowd, but uh, they were on Sub Pop for a couple years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that they've label. all gone on. They all are, are oh, it's a great label. Yeah. And uh, the Blue Rags, what they did, they were young men playing um, something, something like old time country ragtime music. And when I saw it, it had all the same it had all the same piss and vinegar that Mike Patton had. <laughs> um but it was like but it was like old timey sounding ragtime music. And that blew my mind because the contrast of those types of shows and um the fact that young men were doing it, it felt kinda like a coming home for me and a and a full circle thing where I was like, okay I'm seeing something being articulated that I feel and I am part of um, now what, you know, now what do I, what do I do with it? And that was around the time that I was picking up the banjo out of irony. The only reason I, I wanted to play banjo was because the art, you know, I'm in art school and there's mostly punk rock kids and skater kids. And we all listen to, to hard rock, you know, hardcore and punk rock. And, but the banjo was so ironic to have. And then I took to it very naturally. So it was very fun to play for a for a crowd that really, you know, we would play house parties, you know, or sit together on Tuesday night and just jam. But it was it was not like it wasn't bluegrass, but it was imitating some of it with a uh, with sort of a I don't know a little bit of a a wink and a nod and a I don't right. know it was just it was, it was still fiery and punk rocky. But um, the, both Mr. Bungle and the Blue Rags were both 
these animated versions of of something that I knew was part of my DNA. Like, uh, and I I was like, I I'm gonna get in on this. I want to get like <laughs> seeing the blue rag. I'm gonna get I like, some. Yeah. I have this. To be like, I'm gonna get in on this because I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna be a spectator to this um, for much longer. I need to. I need to get get in with this, and 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 when I do, there's no. When I do, there's no stopping me. You know, that's how how it felt. Absolutely, I know. I had I actually had Mike on the show a few weeks ago, and chatting through mm-hmm. the concept of obviously the different iterations of the of the worlds that he's been a part of, and talking how yeah. he approaches that. And how the hell so much variety and vastness of space and of art can come from one human. It's uh, it's an overwhelming yep. thing. And it's I love incredible. that. Yeah, I love that you connected to that. 100% mainline. I mean, from the time I was 15 years old, when I discovered him, I mainline Mike Patton. And uh, <laughs> I use that thing, you know, through my visual art. And my music, I use that same uh, energy and belief that, I mean, it's wide open. It's wide open, and there's no, I mean, there's no limit to, uh, you know, there's all those beautiful limitations we're talking about, but there's no limit to what we can, what we can make and want to get involved in. And making space to work, you know, it's, it's, man, it's just how we, how we live. It's how, it's how I, how I do life is, is. I uh, I feel it and I document it and I and I move with it and uh, I can imagine with Mike Patton I think he you know sonically you know through through audibles like he's just he's done such a good job of following through with so many different projects and and some of them you don't have to understand you know like I don't even have to like some of them but I always appreciate them I've always appreciated them. Yeah, and I think that he knows that too, and that's the difference between an artist yeah, of yeah. that caliber versus an artist who's kind of still feeling it out. Is that I think he just does it and then turns around and says, "Okay, there's no like it's this fearlessness, yeah. but also stemming from yeah. this curiosity." And I think like trying new things, there there is some sort of value to staying curious and open to new ideas you know, in order to have a life of sustained creativity. Like, as you mentioned, you're a visual artist as well. I watched this amazing video, by the way, of you talking about your art and you likened it to a ballad. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you remember that. (laughs) God, I hope it was you. Sounds good. I'll take it. I'm going to say it now. Um, but you said it because you were looking at artwork and saying that, like, with a ballad, you've got to, like, be really close to it. It's kind of intimate. And especially with art as well, you, you've also got to kind of go right up into it. And I feel like you can liken that to artists as well, like Mike Patton, like Ozzy, like all those artists who are just so wild um, that you almost feel like there is there is so much human about it that they that you can't. It's like how do you? It's like you you have to get so close to it. I think there'd be more people that revealed themselves as that wild if they were practicing to be them true self, their true selves. You know, like that's what that's what I feel like. Mike Patton, like he's a good example. There's there's other examples, but a person that expresses truly who they, you know he's being truly who he is uh, through great courage. If more people 
cozied up to that idea, you'd probably see more, you know, wild folks <laughs> like that. Um, I don't Absolutely. know how, what the world would do with that. You know, I don't even know if it's possible. Yeah. There's only so much space. <laughs> He's wild. For, uh, for Mike Patton, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Do you have like a dream musician then that you want to perform with? At the Grammys, you performed with Mumford and Sons and Bob Dylan. Where does Bob Dylan then stand in the like pantheon of inspiration for you guys? Like, do you have a dream? Like, how was that performance? I think that's the first part of what I'm wondering. And then the second is, like, who else could top that? You know, <laughs> who could yeah, yeah, yeah. who could be yeah, above yeah, yeah. that? Yeah, well, totally. And we have, uh, we've been so fortunate to perform. And we've performed with Willie Nelson several oh times. Oh, my gosh. We've performed with Cheryl uh, uh, Crow. Like, we've done these, we've done some just incredible, we've been on stage with some incredible people. Um and that and that uh, experience in particular was—I mean, I have only fond memories of that. It was—it was very enjoyable. Um, it was fun to get together and practice with uh, Mike, uh, excuse me, uh, Bob Dylan, and uh, you just get a little glimpse into how he was working and uh, how everyone had kind of warned us that he would do this or that, and he did none of that, none of the things that we were warned about. What did they warn you about? <laughs> great. Oh, uh, that's so funny. Well, they said he would. Maybe they—I guess they prepared. Right. Like an ashtray with cigarettes and stuff. Like they were, there were all these preparations for him, and he didn't do anything that anybody expected him to do. And I think that's, I think it's wonderful. What did he um, do? How did he surprise but, you? Was he just, uh, was he just completely like welcoming we, uh, and easy to work with? Yeah, he was cool. Yeah, he was cool. He wasn't. You know, he he had a serious face. I'll say that. I don't want to sell him out. He was. Uh, he was wearing a beanie and a wig, and yeah. that was, uh, I thought, cool as hell, but it was, also, it was not that I expected. I was like, <laughs> yeah, and all of a sudden, Bob Dylan has uh, straight hair and, uh, yeah. and a beanie with tuxedo pants. I thought it was just like, oh, man, Wait, I just loved it. He, why he, was he doing that? Was ways, he trying to be, like, yeah, incognito? Maybe. I mean, Maybe. it was there in Los Angeles. It was it was definitely war, warmer than, uh, yeah. it was not beanie weather. Not that's be- for sure. <laughs> but, um uh, I love that. But you know, he was cool to us, and he was—he's been—he's continued to be friendly to us and, and human, you know. But he's so big, you know. His work spans so so much, so much time and space, and uh, it's hard to um, I, maybe maybe in the in the maybe the the work is just not him, you know. Like the work is that big, but there's still a human there, you know. There's still a human doing it, and I think that's important to remember when we all get together. Uh, and treat people as people instead of treating them as their work, you know? Like, they're not their... They aren't necessarily their work. I don't know. It's, it's not only daunting to have that near you, but also you feel like it's this vault of information that you could potentially, like, tap into being around somebody like that. But did you... That's could true. You, yeah. Could you ask... Did you ask him anything, or did, were you just there pretty much to learn through experiencing it all and like just observing totally that one totally i in those scenarios there's always somebody you know with that many people around uh, a legend like bob dylan i feel like there's always somebody that's going to be um eager to talk to him you know and good for them you know and i just i, I try to really just be natural and wait for those moments to talk to somebody to, to come in a, in a good way and not a forceful way as that person and uh 
we talked about keys to what we were performing, like would, would A be better than mm-hmm. G? I don't remember if those were the keys we were talking about, but mm-hmm. and maybe how to end it and stuff. And he was open to those those conversations. He didn't he didn't shut anybody down or treat anybody less than human. So, um, but yeah, I, I would definitely in, in the beginning just observe and just I try to look at it like this. Like I remember growing up being around my dad and the guys that he worked with, like or or being around carpenters that were local to where we lived, and uh, there would be somebody that's one of the old figures that we would see in breakfast or lunch at the mm-hmm. at the local dive, and you. You just treat them like one of the elders, you know. It's just one of the elders that has, does a job. Uh, Bob Dylan's just, you know, he's a he's a carpenter. He's a builder of songs. Uh, he's a performer. He does it very well. He's done it a long time, and just that that's that. If it's appropriate for us to talk, we will. If not, I can respect him and admire him from a from afar. And um, that's that's really that. He's an elder. He's an elder that. Uh, we all, we all in the art and the, you know writing and music business, we all look up to, and you have to, you have to be educated on him for sure because he's that. Everybody knows he's that, that damn great. Um, but uh, I, I would say that if, if someone was, I mean, I have to go. I've never said that I would want to do something with Mike Patton, and I've always overlooked it. But I got to say, he's the single most influential on my, my perform. You know, my. Uh, performing self not so i mean not artist and performing self it doesn't even really have to do with songwriting it doesn't even really have to do that it has to do with with present stage presence and performing uh and creating that's because i could i could create visually in line with how he creates musically or sonically um but if there was ever a reason uh that made sense or was natural man that would be incredible that would be uh that would be quite an education. It would be so interesting, especially looking back at like, you know, I think sometimes when you do make the music that you make, especially with something as signif- signifier like a banjo, you do tend to be put into this into this box yeah. of there is no other music you can ever be interested in. Folk music is it. That's all. You know, you talked about like Van Halen and Ozzy and... I don't know. I feel like that uh, it makes sense that you would uh, be kind of attuned with somebody like Mike Patton, because I also feel like even again, yeah. I think we spoke about right at the beginning of the sh- of the conversation about, you know, that song, uh, Tell the Truth. And in, even in that, there's kind of like spoken word. He would Mike Patton. I mean, that the spoken word stuff that he put in, like uh, in the King for a Day, Full for a Lifetime and that Flight of Icarus piece. Yes. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, like well, that stuff moved me, man. That was like big I love for me. That. And I think that that's so, you know you can uh, play, you can play. And again, we were talking about curiosity. You know, if you if you are really cultivating this lifetime of performing and producing art, whether it's visual or uh, audio, you know, you have to make sure that you're stretching. So I hope that yeah. the next time we chat, yeah. it's about a collaboration between <laughs> Avid Brothers and Mike Let's Patton. <laughs> He's it, actually man. such that a sweetheart. He's such a sweetheart. He never does any press and because he's scary to talk to, apparently. Uh, I didn't know yeah. that going in. Yeah. I, I was just like he's just this guy that I'm interested in talking to and he's this kind of God and his voice is something, you know, Incredible. is there anything that you think musicians 
who are just starting out now because again you come from a, a very different background and you've had a very different career trajectory to a lot of artists as well and especially with the genre that you're in so do you think there's anything that musicians who are starting out now do what do you think they should know or what do you wish you knew when you first started well i didn't know when i started even though we did this that those of us, the friends of mine that would break off and start to uh, probably look like they were less successful, I didn't realize that the ones that would work more and do more were just the ones that worked more and did more. Right, <laughs> And it was right. as simple as go play. Go play wherever you can play. And so many people would ask or they would pine over where should I live if I'm going to, should I move to Nashville or should I move mm -hmm. to LA or uh, where am I going to, you know, what am I going to do? And every time you're asking, what am I going to do? You're just missing a chance to go do what you're, what you're talking about doing. Um, and luckily we had some sort of innate ability or just pre-programmed way of going, let's go play here let's go play there, let's go play here, let's go play there, then there, and then there. And it it fed upon itself. And once it once it, the fire of that started, it wasn't a fire of people coming to shows, but it was our fire uh, to go play. We didn't ever, we didn't stop discriminating on where we played. When fans would say, oh, I don't like that place. There's too many, uh, there's too many fraternity guys there. We'd go, what are you talking about? Right. If they fill the place up, then that's great. We're not discriminating against who comes to our show, you know? Like, come on, come on. We don't have that kind of leverage, guys. Mm. And uh, it, it just was nonsense. It was nonsense to, to say that there was a certain type of person. So we played everywhere, and we did everything we could and played for We played for fraternity guys. We played for country guys. We played for uh, tattoo parlors. We played at churches. We played at coffee shops, bars, everywhere. And we... We love playing for all those people, and now we have many, you know, all types of people that come. But the point is that I'm making is, how often do we get the kind of question like, "What do I do if I want to be a songwriter?" Well, write songs. Right. What do I want to do if I want to be a performer? Go perform. Nobody's stopping you from that. Nobody. Only yourself. It's it's so true, and that means something different for everybody. But there's somewhere to go play all the time, and there's there's songs to be written. They can be rewritten. It's fine. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and The Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i'm
you again for listening to this week's episode. Here's a little reminder that StubHub is the best place to score the tickets you need whenever you need them. Backed by their 100% fan protect guarantee, StubHub has the seats you want at the price you want to pay and they're never sold out so you can score tickets up to the last minute. Head to cosradio.lv slash StubHub. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub, and then enjoy the show. Consequence Podcast Network.